Hello, my name's Gary. This is episode 41 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On today's show, we'll be talking about zealotry in the EV world. What is it and why it's not good? Before we get started, I wanted to make sure everyone's surviving the current COVID-19 pandemic. We're living in unparalleled times and things are changing on an almost daily basis. I know a lot of you are locked up in quarantine or social distancing, and this is ultimately good for everyone, but very frustrating in the short term. Personally, I've just become a key worker, so I get to head out of uh, out of the house and do a two or three days work a week, which is quite good for both my mental attitude and my physical uh, attitude. Um, I can't tell you what that work is right now, but hopefully it will form part of a future episode of the podcast. So stay safe, everyone, and wash your hands. I also want to announce that as this is the start of season three of the podcast, and since Simon has moved on from being involved in the show, I've taken the opportunity to have a bit of a rebrand. A friend of the show, Gary Wales, who is a Model 3 driver, has redesigned the EV Musings logo and brand, and this will now go across all the social media, podcast, and um, potentially merchandising, I don't know, maybe. Uh, Thanks very, very much to Gary for doing this. He's a man of uh, many talents, one of which is graphic design. In the past, he designed the album covers for a number of the Now That's What I Call Music albums for various countries around the world. He knows what he's doing, and his Twitter link is in the show notes. If you need something doing that involves graphics or design, well, anything creative, really, just hit him up on Twitter, see what you can do. Our feature topic today is zealotry. Twitter, and social media generally, is full of people who hate EVs. Lots of their hatred is based on inaccurate and outdated information. See our... uh, First ever episode, the myths episode. Also, lots is based on pure unwillingness to consider something different. But whatever the reason, there's always someone in the EV community who'll dive into the comments and dogpile whoever doesn't like or support EVs. Usually it's easy to do because we can all knock down the arguments they put up. So once again, see episode one, the myths episode, for examples. But is this the right way to go? Is it the right thing to do? But let me ask the question in a slightly different way. What do you do when family members approach you and say you're wrong or stupid to have an EV? What do you do when people throw out the old inaccurate tropes? Where's the power coming from to charge them? You're only moving the problem away from the roads and over to somewhere else. What do you do when they say, I need to get from Scotland to Cornwall twice a week, pulling a caravan and taking four kids and two dogs? No EV will do that. What do you do when someone is convinced they'll never buy an EV unless it can charge in the same length of time it takes them to currently refill their diesel Range Rover. What do you do? Well, the short answer is, you don't engage. It's always easier to walk away from the discussion like this, as, generally, anyone with that attitude has made the mind up and is just looking for an argument rather than facts. Take a specific example I had on Twitter recently. I was engaged in conversation with a young lady in Australia who was absolutely convinced that refuelling time was paramount and she couldn't understand why anyone would spend any time sitting at a charger when they could get a petrol car or even better, a hydrogen-powered car. I started by prodding to see if she was parroting the usual tabloid newspaper lines about how EVs will never catch on or whether she'd actually done the research herself and was talking from a point of view of knowledge. Well, it appears she was actually talking from a point of view of knowledge 
in that she had all the actual facts to back up her assertions, but she hadn't looked at any facts that counteracted her assertions. For example, when I asked about how dangerous it was carrying hydrogen under pressure around in a family car, she stated quite rightly that not a single hydrogen vehicle has ever had a punctured tank and exploded, even in accidents. However, she conveniently forgot to mention the numerous hydrogen refuelling stations that have exploded in places like Norway, causing the network there to be shut down. When I asked her which EV she'd driven that gave us such a low opinion of electric cars, she admitted she didn't drive and had never actually been in an EV, and that was my cue to bow out of the conversation. This was someone who wasn't interested in learning about EVs and had come into the conversation with her mind made up and nothing was going to change it. Well, I say that ultimately a government mandate will change it for her, but that's a discussion for a different podcast, not right now. Having said that, there are always people, and I count myself amongst them, who will tag someone more knowledgeable than themselves in an EV discussion and let them sort out the issues. A particular go-to favourite for me is battery expert and EV owner Ewan McTurk, who I always go to when people bring in issues and arguments that are battery-related. Not too many months back, the old, you'll need to replace them in three years and they'll cost thousands argument was still quite prevalent, although it just seems to have calmed down now. Uh, whenever this one came up, I'd tag you and he'd calmly give them a factual answer, which shot down their argument immediately. Uh, another go-to is Colin, the plug seeker. Colin has a specific way of responding to EV naysayers. He'll be calm and address each topic in turn without getting angry. He'll also ask someone who thinks that EV is out of their price range, what distance they travel and what their use case is. And often this is enough to persuade people that the media view of EVs is inaccurate and they should think about it a little more. Colin will point out, uh, you know, a second-hand Leaf or a Renault Zoe for a lower price that will meet the needs of someone commuting, say, 40 miles a day, when perhaps they thought they might need an expensive Tesla to do that journey. My favourite, though, is uh, Synchronicity34 on Twitter, who's a Twitter user who's very supportive of EVs and very much against hydrogen for passenger cars. I've tagged him in several discussions when people have started to spout nonsense about hydrogen safety and it's the most abundant element on the planet, etc, etc. His in-depth knowledge of the whole hydrogen life cycle, coupled with readily available links to peer-reviewed articles published across the internet, make him a valuable ally to bring in when the Daily Mail Brigade raise their heads. The problem, of course, with something like this is that it can escalate. It doesn't take too many people posting reply to an erroneous tweet for other members of the EV community to see that tweet in their timeline and weigh in on the discussions. This gets into what could be called the dogpile scenario where EV advocates end up looking like zealots. Also, like zealots, their views can be disregarded as being worthless due to the nature in which they're provided, rather than the content of the comments themselves, and this does EV adoption a great disservice. So how should we deal with this? Firstly, we need to be conscious of the fact that there are people out there who just want a fight. Stay clear of these people because they aren't there for the discussion and the education. They're there for the argument and you don't need to engage with people like that. Secondly, remember that most people coming in to pick a fight in a discussion on EVs are coming in with a set of information that they've either gained from the mainstream media or have picked up in a spurious post somewhere on Twitter or Facebook. The old argument of EVs are worse for the environment than a diesel car because they use a lot of CO2 in their manufacture is one prime example of what's, uh, what we've heard in the past. 
They might be willing to listen to contradictory views, providing they're sure that the source is trustworthy. But the problem comes with finding that trustworthy source. And one thing that's often worth doing is asking detractors to identify who funds their particular source. In many, many instances, the funding for anti-EV studies is the fossil fuel industry. Often this is hidden behind foundations that sponsor studies, uh, etc. Sometimes, however, it's quite out there in the open. The prime example is Toyota's self-charging hybrid advertising. I know of people who honestly believe that these self-charging hybrids do not need any sort of fuel putting in them to run. They're electric cars and they charge themselves automatically as you drive. Now, obviously, this is absolute nonsense. But in this case, the marketing hype is accurate because the regen braking on a self-charging hybrid will put a small amount of power into a small hybrid battery. But it's also misleading in that its pitch has been much more than that. And the regen, or whatever Toyota customers believe, will fully recharge the battery. Now, I've said before on this podcast that this is the equivalent of the old P.T. Barnum Fairground attraction, where he said, roll up and roll up, pay 25 cents and see a cherry-coloured cat. Pay your money, step inside, a cherry-coloured cat. Come on, folks. Well, naturally, you pay your money and you want to see a cat that's the same colour as a red cherry, right? And when you handed over your hard-earned cash and stepped through to the back room, there was a black cat sitting there. Cherries can be black, right? See, it's accurate, but it's misleading. So we've identified the people who are just there for a fight, and we've tried to persuade people to check their sources for spurious studies. The final thing we need to do is to make sure that any arguments are made on the basis of facts, not emotion. Oftentimes, people are trying to get a rise out of EV advocates. They insert themselves into conversations purely to try and get a rise out of them so that they can pull the EV zealot card on them. Don't rise to that. I know I've done it in the past, and I'm trying hard not to do it again. Finally, whatever happens, don't block them. If you block them, they win. Just ignore them. Or, as has happened several times in discussions I've had, keep pushing back on their arguments with factual links and articles that counteract. Ultimately, they'll block you. It's a great feeling. Before I go, I want to highlight one specific instance where zealotry is rampant in our own ranks. The Tesla fanboy. Uh, Just so you know where I'm coming from, I love Tesla as a company. I've driven and ridden in their cars, and I absolutely think they are fantastic pieces of machinery. I will, at some point in my life, be a Tesla owner and a driver. But I do know that there are a large number of people out there who are under the Tesla bubble and don't understand or appreciate that for many people, owning a Tesla is just not possible. And this manifests itself in a number of ways, none of which are good for EV adoption. The prime example is where someone makes a comment about charging infrastructure on uh, Facebook or Twitter. They'll say something like, tried to charge on the BP Charge Master 150 kilowatt unit at Hammersmith today, blocked by taxes. And this is usually followed by any number of Tesla owners chiming in with a completely predictable, get a Tesla, the supercharger network is great. See, now the problem with this is twofold. And the first one is, you're only partially right. The Tesla supercharger network is infinitely better than every other charger network in existence, except when it isn't. Fleet Services Southbound have a set of uh, superchargers there that have been waiting for power for two years now. The Winner superchargers outside Reading have been out of action recently because access was closed 
due to flooding. Bjorn Nyland, ardent Tesla fan and owner of several Teslas over the few the last few years, has taken to using the Ionity network when travelling on longer distances because the charging speed is higher than with Tesla. We're also seeing queuing at superchargers in peak times now, which is amazing considering the number of chargers usually located at any given location. And secondly, I'm pretty sure that 99.9% of the people who own an EV that's not a Tesla have gone through the process of deciding whether a Tesla is the right car for them. They've analysed the costs, the price, the infrastructure, and have, after all that, decided not to buy a Tesla. Therefore, telling them, buy a Tesla, is the same as telling someone who works for Microsoft to get an Apple Mac. It's probably not going to happen. I firmly believe that most people who could afford a Tesla would buy a Tesla. If they don't have one, it's probably because they can't afford one rather than they don't want one. Telling them to get a Tesla isn't the least bit helpful. However, if you took a conscious decision not to buy a Tesla when you could have purchased one, I'd be really interested to understand why. Not that it's right or wrong, I'm just interested to understand what the thought process was behind that. Let me know in the comments. So what happens there is that you get the Tesla fanboy community justifying why their cars are the best on the planet to someone who cannot either afford one or who has decided not to buy one. In either case, it's a lost cause and it only causes resentment to the people on the other end of the tongue lashing. Plus, this is having a reverse effect for Tesla owners. EV Man UK, uh, an EV YouTuber based out of Yorkshire, recently traded in his Nissan Leaf 30kWh and he replaced it with a Tesla Model 3. He noted that as soon as he did that, the graph of his subscribers plateaued and he also lost up to 500 people from his subscriber list. It seems that a lot of non-Tesla owners don't like Tesla owners either. Is it because of the hatred that happens with Tesla fanboys and they're taking it out on them that way? I don't know. I'd kind of like to see it stop though. So to summarise, the key when dealing with people who are against EVs or don't understand why they should get one is to be gentle, provide facts rather than rhetoric or comments, and to identify those people who are genuinely misinformed and looking for facts versus those who don't care and are looking for an argument. Engage the former, ignore the latter. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. As we're all stuck here in isolation, it's probably fair to say that there are many people who have EVs sitting on their driveway or on the pavement in front of their house that are not being used. And the question that arose for me was, what about the state of charge for those cars? Should it be left at 100%? Should they be unplugged completely? Luckily, battery expert Ewan McTurk, who I mentioned earlier in this podcast, has produced an episode of his Plug Life television series focused on exactly that. He gives recommendation for the ideal state of charge for EV batteries that are sitting and not being used for a while and talks around that for a while. Uh, if you want the shortened version, somewhere between 50 and 80% is ideal. Uh, thanks for that episode, Ewan. Excellent work. Link in the show notes. Uh, we'll be coming back to this next week as we cover the whole issue of what to do with your EV now that we're all prohibited from travelling, with key workers excluded, of course. Yep, next week is the lockdown episode. I'll be putting out a call on Twitter, but if you're listening to this and you want to contribute to that episode, send me a quick audio recording telling me the best and worst things about being in lockdown with an EV. Record it on the voice app on your phone and DM it to me at the EV Musings Twitter account. Details are in the show notes and below. 
And that's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to contact me, I'm the real Gary C on Twitter, or use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. Uh, that's the one you should be DMing your voice mes- messages to for next week's episode. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent. And it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything I've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. Thanks as always to my uh, co-founder Simon Rowe. You know, he has some very strong views on capital punishment and he's very much opposed to the electric chair, especially for people who are involved in fatal road accidents. He doesn't see it as a deterrent. I asked him why and he said, Where's the power coming from to charge them? You're only moving the problem away from the roads and over to somewhere else. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise our visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks for listening. Bye.